Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Economist Asks. I'm your host, Anne McElvoy. And we're very pleased to bring you this podcast from the final big event of our 175th anniversary season, the Open Future Festival in New York City. Throughout this year, we've been debating the ideas we were founded to protect. Individual rights, free trade, progress through reform and technology, and most of all, freedom of speech. Our choice of one of the speakers at the festival on Saturday the 15th of September has been the subject of much heated debate and some criticism. Steve Bannon was chief executive of Donald Trump's campaign for the presidency, chief strategist for his first eight months in the White House, and a co-founder of the right-wing news website Breitbart. Mr. Bannon helped propel Donald Trump to victory, and he's intent on the spread of his populist creed. He's now advising insurgencies and some protectionists in power in several European countries. His views are antithetical to much that The Economist stands for. But James Wilson, when he launched our newspaper in 1843, said this. Its mission was to take part in a severe contest between intelligence, which presses forward, and an unworthy, timid ignorance obstructing our progress. So we opted to continue that tradition in our debate. Our editor, Zanny Minton Beddows, talked to Mr. Bannon on stage in New York, and I sat down with him afterwards to tease out some more of the arguments. We started by exploring what impact the Trump administration's economic protectionism would have. I wanted to understand whether you thought saw tariffs as a negotiating tactic or as a permanent arrangement that would help the United States. What you said in previous interviews suggested the latter. Now it seems that you are saying that tariffs are simply a negotiating tactic. If we need tariffs ongoing to protect certain industries, I have no problem with tariffs as long as it's in the protection of the American workers and not the capitalist. Well, so much for the big picture. But I wanted to know how his system of economic nationalism would affect ordinary Americans. And did he and Donald Trump still see eye to eye on trade? Our system of economic nationalism is about maximizing the value of citizenship. And sometimes that may have trade deals, that may have tariffs and may have protection, right? And, and you may, guess what? You may end up actually paying 5% more or 10% more for the junk you buy in Walmart, okay? You may end up buying, paying more. But hang on, but hang on, but hang on. Is the Walmart shopper more? Yeah. This is your perspective? This, this is, okay, this is the ultimate fetish. Yes, the consumer sometimes may actually end up paying more. But the trade-off, the trade-off will be a high-value high added manufacturing jobs that you can build a family around. Okay. The number one reason for the demographic problem the in the United States. The administration is going to be very pleased to go out there with a message saying consumers are going to pay more. Well, no, it's, it's, look, it's, it's, it's the way we have the policies today, they're not. That's where the p- consumer prices are not rising. Okay. They're not because I think the way President Trump's engaged in his economic war is 
quite different than the, the, a little different than the way I would do it. You know, my point would be I don't I would not mind, and this is Steve Bannon, not Donald Trump. I would not mind taking uh, if the capital markets had to take a hit. So oh, yeah. Steve Bannon's economic outlook is distinct from Donald Trump's. I didn't say that. So Don- you said there was a difference. I said there's a difference, not distinct. But there's a paradox here. The administration's claim to pursue zero tariffs while slapping higher ones on many trade partners. Only hours after our event, the White House announced another punitive round of tariffs on Chinese goods. And how would this economic me-firstism affect broader relations with the rest of the world? What Donald Trump is saying is that either through tariffs put on Chinese goods, the centerpiece of this is China, right, will start to bring back manufacturing jobs to the United States. Donald Trump has said as a matter of policy, he has said as a matter of policy, at the G7, and he said it to China, he will go to zero tariffs. Will this make the economists happy? I want to, I want to, I just want to, so the economist is happy that they're happy. Zero tariffs is what President Trump has said. If all non-trade barriers go away. It's, the, cre- it's partic- the credibility and the root to that that we disagree. What do you mean the credibility? What do you mean the credibility? But actually the question No, I what do you mean, you, what do you mean the credibility? Well, the credibility of that offer. He's very, he's very open to that offer. He's said that offer. So you get rid of the non-trained barriers. By the way, it is it is Germany and France that won't stop the subsidies. It's it's China won't stop the subsidies competing against American companies. Can I just come back to the Murder. question, which was really about economic nationalism, yes. more broadly than, than tariffs, on which you know, right. you, you've laid out your point there on stage. This idea of the rules-based order is also about people working together, countries working together. It assumes a kind of collective mindset. Competing populisms doesn't. What makes you confident you, 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 that competing right populisms No, no, no. You, 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 assume, you assume that they're working together today and they're not. Well, Your elites? No, 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 no. together no. in NATO. Britain works together how, in how, NATO. No, no. I'm talking about the United States. We're the guarantor of the system. Our country was never formed. We came, we, we came out Britain of an empire. Britain has part. not been a reliable ally of the United States the, in recent interventions since the Second World War. Great, 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 Britain, great Britain is our mother country and has been a, a, a terrific ally, although we've had to intervene to bail Britain out in World War I and in World War II. I think like the people phrase of Europe. bail out is wrong. I think we fought. We fought together. together. The two countries against against the fascists, but but it was it was it was a fight that started in Europe, and we got pulled into it. And, and by the way, we had to get pulled into it eventually. But the biggest moral challenge for Steve Bannon is his support for far right movements, also across the Atlantic. Matteo Salvini, the deputy prime minister of Italy and the first big political figure to join your new movement in Italy, he has said. Uh, He wants to carry out a census of the Roma, which is a long persecuted minority group in Europe. And he then went on to say, unfortunately, we have to keep the Italian ones. Viktor Orban, the president of Hungary, has said, we do not want to be a multicolored country. He has called refugees, quote, Muslim invaders. One of the things that I think is very interesting is your embrace. You look around the world and you find politicians you you think maybe could share your view or be part of your movement, uh, as you call it. Do you have any scruples about where your selection of potential friends and allies stops? And is anyone, to put it bluntly, too right-wing for you? 
Oh, yeah. Well, as we said in the movement, when we made the announcement last week when Salvini and uh, Giorgio Maloney uh, came in and, and joined this kind of loose confederation of this club, that people like Golden Dawn and Joe Big, people are ethno-nationalists. I, I, I verently disagree with ethno-nationalism. These are the people These, who are your supporters in Europe. Not, neither, they not, are very clearly basing immigration on, le- on racist— true. Yes, they true. are. They the, said this, what I said the, they did. Orban, I do it. absolutely do not condemn— Victor Orban and what Victor Orban and his party stands for, what they ran on, and what they're doing in Hungary. I do not condemn what Salvini stood for, ran on, and what he's doing in his country. One of the things I think is is really interesting about populist movements, particularly those who identified as being on the right, is kind of where, where in their own terms, should they stop? And I, uh, Germany, covering Germany is my background. If you remember Franz Josef Strauss, a great politician of the, uh, the conservative right in Germany in Bavaria in the 70s, 80s, had a saying, which was, there is nothing to the right of me. And what he meant by that is, you have to know where to stop. He branded himself as the politician. With, this is as far right as you can go without risking something like to akin to fascism. Do you not worry that in your enthusiasm to build this movement that you've gone too far towards embracing those who are too close to fascism. Absolutely not. It's it's Merkel. It's Merkel in the elites in Germany. No, I think I think I think these are Well the alternative for Deutschland. Yeah, but I think these are what about that? Is that not a movement that concerns you because it absolutely does what you say it does. It channels the frustrations that you've described. But it is an unpleasant and sometimes threatening mood. Does that I think, I think, I think in Swedish Democrats and Alternative for Deutschland and other parties like that that have some sort of uh, beginnings or whatever in, in, in those parties of that, they are moving those p- parties to uh, policies that are uh, more acceptable to a broader range. That's why they're increasing at the polls. People understand that the Alternative for Deutschland people are not racist. They understand they're not nativist. They understand they're not <laughs> they're not. You give me a look. I, I'm giving You're giving you me a look. look. I'm giving you a look because we spent quite a lot does, of time does, to Does, does Alternative for Deutschland, by the way, does Alternative for Deutschland have a certain base of that party that it, that is that it, you could define as potentially problematic? Maybe is our Alice Vital and Beatrice Storch and other leaders going and working with that every day to try to become more acceptable to a broader range of Germans. And that's how they get to power. That's how they're, that's how they're going to increase from 14% to 19%. It's what the Swedish Democrats are doing. And in America, an anti-immigrant stance already has practical consequences. Sandy Minton Beddoes. If you look at this country, foreign entrepreneurs create 25% of new companies in this country. Foreign, more than half of American big tech companies are founded either by immigrants or the children of immigrants. Immigration in this country has led to more jobs, more innovation, more entrepreneurship. By cutting legal immigration, you are cutting a source of growth and prosperity. You are going to hurt the prospects the, of the, the very the, people you're the, trying to help. The, the Merit-Based Raise Act will cover that. Economic nationalism. Doesn't care about your race, doesn't care about your ethnicity, doesn't care about your religion, doesn't care about your gender, doesn't care about your sexual preference. It cares that you're you, a citizen. You say that many a times. Citizen, a citizen of the United States of America. It's time that we look out for our citizens. We were just talking to, to business people uh, here last night, and uh, one of them, a very senior guy, had a background uh, outside America, has an accent, um, uh, English not his first language, though he's perfectly fluent, and he said, I don't talk in my native language anymore. There is a, the mood has changed. I feel that people might, you know, just come and annoy me, be in my face. Do you feel that there's something 
I totally disagree. I think business confidence and confidence of entrepreneurs and confidence of people, foreign co- companies that want to invest here, of our entrepreneurs, Trump's unleashed the animal energies that are the backbone of capitalism, the back of capitalism. If you look at all the polls of blue-collar workers, they've never been more enthusiastic about the economy. They've never been enthusi- more enthusiastic about their, their station in life now. So, no, I totally disagree. I don't take one data point as being that. I think you ought to get – I think that general or to get out to the great heartland of this country. And I think you'll see that a robust country that now sees the opportunity of 4% growth. You know, I'm a big believer in kind of economic determinism. When you have a growing, healthy economy, good things happen. And I think we're seeing that. Assuming, of course, and this is a big assumption, that your curtailment of immigration and that insistent message on immigration doesn't cut off your future economic prospects. A reasonable worry, not not, just one that the economists would raise. No, First off, these individuals, remember, at, at 500,000 or over a million, there, there, there is plenty of, of immigration. And there's always going to be open immigrants. Even the Raise Act, the, the, the Tom Cotton, the, the Congress said, we'll never approve it with just the 500,000. It'll have to be more. Okay? Now, I, I, was, I was even more restrictive than that. But reasonable men can disagree, men and women, and I see what's, you know, what's going to happen. However, it doesn't mean – and one of the things I, I'm very much against is this kind of imperialistic – attitude that we've got to take the best and brightest from everywhere, from all their home countries. What I want is people to make India great again, and people to make Central America great again, and people to make Sub-Saharan Africa great again, to make these societies great. I know we are building never a worker want space. to talk about the mood, uh, whether it's in yeah, – there's always an excuse for people at the, the fringes, and I'm not saying that you take up all of their positions. I think the moods – are, the, are I think, you not I th- too forgiving to, to the way that this kind of mood, this anti-immigration rhetoric has consequences – in the when you say when you say the mood, but you 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 said you had one guy that said that. I haven't seen that mood. I haven't seen one example of that. Behind all this stands the figure of President Trump, in some ways a creation of Mr. Bannon's ideology. So how does he see the outlook for November's midterm elections? And does the president need to fear a blue wave, a Democratic Party revival? You're a busy man, but in some ways you really want to serve the president again. Are you trying to get back his, into his, his good books? No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. I, I, I will never, ever, ever say that. Wild horses could not drag me back to the White House. Look, I only took one year. and I told Maggie Haberman and, and uh, Mark Lando at the New York Times, the first week I was in the White House, from August 14th of 2016 when I joined the campaign to one year, August 14th of 2017. I did, I did one year in the service of Donald Trump. And there's no bigger admirer, no, 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 no bigger admirer of Donald Trump than myself. And he's the leader of our movement. Uh, but I, I am there to build this populist national movement. I've given nine years of my life to but do this. you talk a lot about 2019 and how, the, uh, how Donald Trump should go uh, forward from the midterms. Oh, it almost sounds like you are fighting a shadow campaign to get him reelected. And why oh, not just go back into the 100%. White House? Well, no, 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 because I think I'm much more effective. Here you have, remember, in the White House, you're a federal employee. I, you, I am 10 times more effective out here today than I was in the White House. The reason I left the White House, the White House was just a staffer. Here I can, here, here I can help to develop these ideas more. I can actually run a war room. I can, and I, 100%, I've told people that if this midterm is Trump's first reelect, 
If the Democrats win, and I'm a big believer, the people there protested, I'm a huge believer in these people protesting. I think it's great. I think it shows their energy. I have said the Time's Up movement. Protest is today outside. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I came, when you came out on the way in, I said, listen, I I was there for the Tea Party. I see how protests go. I think people put their energy in that. Look, I don't agree with their thinking. I'd like to be able to explain to it, but I love their energy. And that's what's going to win in November. How are you reading the midterms at the moment? If we had it today, we'd lose 35 seats, minimum. It's, 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 it now, on the evening of November 6th, as I currently see it, 11 o'clock at night, there are going to be a half a dozen to a dozen congressional districts, like this one in Ohio, we just had a special election, that I think are going to come down to a couple of hundred votes. Some, and it's going to decide the majority. And I tell people now, you have to get over the fact that a lot of these guys are rhinos that don't support Trump in the House. You have to walk a precinct. You have to look exactly what the Time's Up movement's doing. You have to look at exactly what the resistance is doing. I happen to believe we could thwart this blue wave, which is coming with with focus and intensity and urgency of getting out and just doing what the Tea Party did in 2010 and what the progressive left is doing right now. Sounds like you think you might see off the blue wave, but there is one. You take the blue wave seriously. I take the blue wave seriously. I'm the first one. Eight months ago, I kept saying, I was saying, guys— these people are like the Tea Party in 2010. The Tea Party, for your audience, won 62 seats in the House of Representatives with no, no money, okay, with no money. I see the same level of intensity on the left. There's also been people around the president that have told the president, oh, it's not so bad. If you lose to the Democrats, you, you can run against them in 2020. I said, and these people are detached from reality. Who I, are they? Who are these people? Well, I don't want to specifically name names. Let's oh, say some don't be coy. Caesar, se- 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 senior advisors, and even some people associated with the campaign. And I said that the Times Up movement and the resistance have not been in Iowa one, a district out there in around Dubuque. They have not been there in July in 90-degree heat and humidity on Saturday afternoons, ringing doorbells, giving literature to work with President Trump on prison reform in 2019. They are there to impeach him. Mueller is going to deliver his report after the elections. And if the Republicans hold the House, and that's what I've told people, if we hold the House of Representatives, it'll be a doorstop. And what did he make of Paul Manafort's plea bargain and also a broader mood of turmoil in the Trump White House? I don't, I, I don't, okay, so you have two things. I, I think the report, I think Mueller's investigation is broken into two things. It's collusion and then there's obstruction of justice, okay? On the collusion part, I can say, no, we couldn't collude, as the CEO of the campaign, we couldn't collude between the ground game of Donald Trump in Pennsylvania and the RNC. So I think the collusion part is, and I think you've seen that, it hasn't been a lot about that. Um, I didn't know Paul Manafort. I don't know what deal, but I have a respect. I have a lot of respect for Mueller in the investigation. I do. I think Mueller's a great patriot. Uh, I haven't liked everything they've done in the investigation. Your opinion differs from Donald Trump's on that. Absolutely. And I have to, I, the president, I've told the president this. I, just, I disagree, and the president has has a strong belief on this, um, and it's a core conviction for him. Um, and, and and I would like Is that because I, the president doesn't really understand or indeed respect the process of justice as it's no. I think he, I think he, I think he does, but he takes the fact that um, you know he doesn't. He, he he here's his thing, and I said this when I, to Charlie Rosen left the White House. I, I left to stop the nullification project. The nullification project was to take a legitimately elected president and nullify his election. And that was the Democratic Party, the opposition party media, but most importantly, the Republican establishment, right? Which I think is in back of this anonymous thing. I'm sure we'll get to in a second. The, mm. um, 
But Mueller's investigation, because he fired Comey, remember, I'm a public record saying I didn't think he should fire Comey to let the investigation go. When Mueller came in, I said, hey, you're not going to like this. But it's just the nature of what these things are. It I is. Think, I think How Trump- damaging do you believe the Manafort, you know, the decision to basically work, I think it's in perpetuity I don't, uh, with I, when, 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 so, when, when someone gets a plea bargain to work with a prosecutor, particularly as people as focused as, as Mueller, et cetera, I wouldn't take that as a – I wouldn't have a dinner that night to celebrate that. So I have no idea. I just it's don't, the I don't. Russia connection at the bottom of it, isn't it, that is capable of doing the most damage – to Donald Trump's standing, whether it's electoral th- meddling, whether it is the uh, no, infamous think, meeting that I you think, were at in Trump Town, I think I think I think, you, I think I think you misread that. When I say there's going to be a four thousand page report or four hundred page report, ten percent of that will be in in, in Russia meddling, etc. In fact, the books have come oh, out. Ten percent is a substantial amount on a topic no, like no, that. No, no, but no, no. But ten percent is it'll be stuff like you know guys like Roger Stone, these marginal people. The bulk of it, I think, he will focus on what they deem as obstruction of justice, whether it's the Comey investigation, whether it's Air Force One, whether it's Jeff Sessions, whether it's all this stuff. And do you believe Donald Trump is vulnerable on that obstruction of no, justice? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. I just don't. Is there a deep state at work in the White House that is it's frustrating Donald it's Trump not, when you okay. talk about uh, H.R. McMaster? Uh, we you know, had other others who were in those sort of positions, Rex Tillerson, who who left not long ago. Do you believe he's being thwarted by the globalists? This is, I think, and I'm glad you got that. I think it's the most important thing. I think it's why this is a crisis in in, in how we govern ourselves in America. The, uh, it was in the spring, in, in the summer of 2017, both Politico and Axios started reporting on this thing called the Committee to Save America, or Team America, made up of McMasters and Cohen and Tillerson and Mattis and Kelly and Dina Powell. The, these people, they're going to be the, the adults in the room, the safe pair of hands because of the crazies of Miller and Bannon and, 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 these, and these crazy nationalists trying to get us out of Paris, trying to get us out of TPP, trying to get us out of NATO, all this. And then you've seen Woodward's book is the notes, the, the, the meeting notes of that Committee to Save America. Simultaneously, you've had something I think is even more dangerous than that because the Committee to Save America, although they're in staff, they, they challenge him to, to his face every day. In this anonymous op-ed, we have something that's much more insidious and much more dangerous. And it's as dangerous to the Bernie Sanders and AOC left as it is to us. What's that? And that is, that is, a, that is people in the permanent political class, in this case, establishment Republicans, and they've used the term. Steve Bannon has said from day one, I don't believe in the deep state. I have called it the in-your-face state. I said, they're not shy. They have a, that, they have a chilling phrase in, in, the, in, the, in the op-ed. They call it, we're not a deep state. We're a steady state. Mm-hmm. We're a steady state. This is the same argument. they argu- consider that, that there is great peril. That's why the same argument that Crassus made in the Spartacus Revolt, Cassius made against Caesar, they always go back and say the state needs order, the state needs stability, that that's an outsider, that that outsider is, is wants to have radical change. They saw Hillary Clinton yes. As, yes. As, the, as the representative of the status quo, the representative of the party of Davos upstairs. That, that's why I'm saying this is a coup. This is an administrative coup that is going on right now. It's exactly what happened in the Who Civil War. Who is the most War. dangerous person in it to your mind? I don't want to name names, but I think the president has to do not a witch hunt, but I think the president has to get in duly uh, constituted authorities like in the Justice Department, the FBI. And I believe that a, a, a systematic, fair, and thorough process has to be gone through to find – it's not one individual. I believe that was written by – 
at least two or three people, and you one think one it was author collectively. I think I think it was a senior drafter. I think it has who to be you, who written. Who do you think it is? I don't want to say, but I have a very, very I have very very strong ideas and convictions, and I've spent a lot of time and effort. If it's so insidious, surely you should call it out. Put a name out there or a number of it names. It is for the president of the United States. It is for these the, people say, it is for, I didn't do it. It is for the president of the United States to do that. Have and you told him to friend, do that? It's for the president of the United States to do that. Have you told him to do that? Advise Let, him let's, to say, do? let's say that the message that I bring on this topic has been, has been presented to him. And uh, we'll why, have to see how it was. Why aren't you speaking to him directly? Well, first off, there's an investigation going on, right? That's the reason? Uh, that's the principal reason. Yeah. I thought it was because you'd fallen out. I am the President Trump has no bigger admirer and no no one that's done as much work to make sure that we promulgate his program and to stand in his defense of this November because if we lose this November it's the I think it is really the end of the Trump program as we originally envisioned it let's look ahead to electoral future if we we could in Britain I know you take a close interest particularly in in the brexit side of the argument there we are getting to the crunch time uh, how likely is it you think that Britain will get a preferential trade deal with America. Oh, with America, 100%. I mean, we told, told them on day one that, uh, that we would be there with, uh, with a fair a deal that, that made sense, uh, et cetera. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is that, that Soros and others, that Brexit's a long way from – look, the same resistance Trump has seen every day. You see the resistance of the global elite about mm-hmm. the working men and women of the United Kingdom, right? I think what they're going to try to do is continue to drag this on and drag it on and try to get a, either a do-over – like, like they have a do-over with Trump on November 16th, have a revote or some kind of way to revote, right? Or what they're going to try to do is just drag it on, drag it on, and get some extension, some extension that will go into 2020, and then hopefully they feel people may forget about it. Part of the reason the movement doesn't have the UK, the UK in it, because, well, the movement is just right now focused on, we're going to be a global organization, we're focused on the parliamentary elections of 2019. We assume that the UK is not going to be there. No need to vote because you're not going to be part of it. Brexit is going to take place. I think that every day that goes on, that may not be a good assumption. Have you been advising Boris Johnson on no, his potential no, run no, at the leadership? No. I have, I have talked to Boris Johnson and exchanged text messages, but Boris Johnson is his own man. But I have said from day one, from the first time I met him after we won, I, I'm, I'm just I'm, – I'm very impressed with Boris Johnson, and, and uh, I think he's got a lot of potential. Boris Johnson – it has upped the ante a bit on his rhetoric recently. He's attacked the burqa in very unflattering terms. He described May's but he Brexit did a gr- plan, hang on, as a yeah. suicide vest. Uh, would you approve of that rhetoric? Uh, suicide vest wrapped around the British Constitution. I, think was I, 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 thought that, I thought that what he said about Brexit was actually uh, quite smart. Yes, I thought, it was, I thought it was that type of phrase that kind of cuts through it all. It was, it was a good phrase. I thought the way he messaged that and particularly what he was, message was trying to get across, I thought if he had come to me beforehand and said, this is what I want to say, I said, I think that would be quite powerful. And that's, do you think that is a good plan for, for power? I mean, you, you look at a lot of populist no, I think movements it's, around he's got, the world. He's got, he's got, you know, I'm not into the details of British politics, but I think the first thing he has to do is convince the Conservative Party and particularly some leaders in the Conservative Party that it'd be worth backing his play. Uh, it is, I was you know, pretty vocal about the fact that there, I thought there was an opportunity, a Churchillian moment to, uh, earlier on uh, when, he, uh, when he resigned, maybe his, his common speech to be a little more uh, rally the troops and let's get on with it. You think you missed the moment? I think it was a, a, my advice to him would have been um, to, um, to grab, seize, you seize moments like that. 
That's it's like the Billy. I said one thing I learned in the Trump campaign, and this was about the Billy Bush, um, that there come certain inflection points that you only understand later on. But you make those decisions with very imperfect information and in the heat of the moment. And one way leads Boris to victory. Missed the moment. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say it, for me, from my perspective. That was a moment. Um, <laughs> Theresa May, I think you said uh, she could be beaten into submission by the European Union. Is that the way that you think it's looking at the moment? I think the way they said it is that uh, I think President Trump gave her, you know, advice about how to how to handle Brexit and how to go in tough and, and over overshoot, you know, overshoot the target and to, and to be tough and hard. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm not, I'm no fan of, of Theresa May, and particularly with this, the Brexit situation. I think other leadership, uh, which by the way. The Conservative Party had opportunities with was it Michael Gove and, and, and Boris Johnson mm-hmm. and others mm-hmm. at the moment of 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 leave, right? At that moment they had the opportunity to reconstitute themselves with that type you of leadership. You admire of Michael Gove? Yes, very much. And uh and uh I uh I think they had the opportunity then. It didn't get taken for whatever reason because of internal look like internal politics. And I think this thing will evolve over time. I do say that I think they're using this whole thing with the hard Brexit. In the in the in the in the cataclysm that's to come, the apocalypse that's going to come. It's been over two years, hasn't it? It's been mm-hmm. close over two years, and all they're doing is playing for time. And I believe that they're going to say, come up with something in this fall to extend either to, either to try to have a do over or to extend it so we don't have to have a hard Brexit. A do over, as it will henceforth be known. Me too. Hashtag me too. You've mentioned times up related campaigns, some differences, something that inspires you. If these things it makes me add, fear. <laughs> the, the inspiration is that they're very powerful. Inter- you know, which is interesting in itself. You cite your daughter and uh, yeah. you know, her yeah. uh, her record uh, there yeah. in, in the military as an example of, of yeah. why you personally support women's I- empowerment. And yet, yeah. you know, when you were in the, the White House and Ivanka Trump was beating that particular drum, you and Ivanka Trump didn't seem to see eye to eye. No, no, but this is about a very specific point. When, when Ivanka and I ever had fights. I actually would say, as first daughter, I understand you love your father, do a great job, but you've taken a billet as, as a staffer, and there's a chain of command, and you have a you have a you have a chief of staff, Reince Priebus. You may not respect him, you may not like him, you may not agree with his politics, and he's too established Republican. But as a staffer, you're just another staffer, and you have to report up there. Part of the chaos you talk so about. So you did use that phrase to Ivanka Trump. You're just a staffer. I think on a number of occasions, Ivanka and I, uh, Ivanka and I would would get into it. And I, look, I've got a lot of respect for Ivanka Trump. She's very smart. She's very tough. She loves her father. I, I don't entirely agree that it serves his best interests that they they are staffers or federal employees. And I have a lot of respect for Jared and what they've trying to accomplish. My whole point was, and they had very different ideas, particularly about populism and some of the economic nationalism than we did. And I can give. And 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 thrust and parry in a knife fight bureaucratically, I can give as good as I get, and so I did agree. But I never doubted. I look, my daughter's a case that I think is very important. I believe that women, not just should be equal parts of society, should be the, the Bannon family extendedly is a blue collar family, but we're based on strong women. I mean, it's just a family when you look at generation after generation has been built upon strong women. I know what strong women are. I come from a mother who's a strong woman. My daughter, I'm very proud of what she did and my other daughters. They're, they're, so, that, and that's why I have tremendous respect. I don't know if I agree 
with the coming matriarchy or what they or what they do because I don't know what it looks like. I, I've looked at ten thousand years of history and the patriarchy. Hey, and maybe it hasn't worked out. Okay, and that's that's going to be. But and, and but at least I'm the one. I'm pro, I'm proud of the fact I was the first one to sit there after the Golden Globes and say, Hey guys, this is so much deeper than the Me Too movement. But that just seems to be what you have a sort of generous rhetoric towards this. Donald Trump's rhetoric towards feminism, often the, you know, a derogatory tone towards women or people who campaign on women's issues. Does that need to change? I think you look at, I think you, this is, the, let me get back to this. Did I ref, ever mention the signal and the noise? <laughs> no, no, I think, no, I, think no. I think we might have just had no, it once no, or no, no, twice. No, no, this is a perfect example. Look at his relationship with Nikki Haley. Look at his relationship with his daughter. I mean, Nikki Haley, I would argue of all the cabinet members, right, is the most independent. She is not shy about telling the president of the United States in the appropriate forum where she agrees and where she disagrees. And he respects that. So I think when that, listen, I think that some of the tweets or some of the things like that, I would consider that noise. But when you look at how Trump empowers people and particularly empowers women, and I think you look at his daughter, that his daughter wouldn't be there if she was not a big believer in his program. Nikki Haley thought to be a prospective presidential. I think, I think Nikki Haley is, is, is got a tremendous future. In, and I hope that eventually the Nikki Haley uh, becomes a, uh, a fire-breathing populist. She might invite you back to the White House. <laughs> like I said, wild horses couldn't get me back, but I think, she's, I think she's got tremendous potential. Steve Bannon, thank you for coming and talking Thanks. to us. Freedom of speech is the foundation of democracy, and we want to hear from you on what you've heard and our challenges to Steve Bannon. We'll include a selection in an upcoming show, so do send us your responses to radio at economist.com or you can tweet us at Economist Radio using the hashtag OpenFuture. I'm Anne McElvoy, and in New York, this is The Economist. <laughs>